there's a scripture the first time that um, one of Jesus' disciples named Nathaniel is told about Jesus, he asks a question and he says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And so maybe if we apply that today and we're talking about expectation um, as we've worshiped and as we've prayed, so let's, maybe your answer to that, can anything good come out of your life right now? Can God do anything good with your situation, anything good with your worship, anything good with your heart? What's your belief in that right now? Is God able? So Father, as we set our expectation then, that you can take what we come with today and you can multiply it, you can heal it, you can increase it, you can use it, Father God, to bring glory to yourself to change us, what the enemy intends for evil, God easily can use for good. All things work together to them that know and love the Lord and are called according to his purpose over and over. Our expectation simply needs to be that God can do what man can't. And so we gather today saying, here we are, God do what you do. Man, our expectations are on you and because of you. We set them high today. No fear of disappointment because you are faithful. Mm. That's our affirmation. That's our claim, our confession. It's the thing that we hold on to right now. And I'm so thankful that you are more excited about it than we are. Father, do what you want to do today. Do it in unity amongst us. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah, with that in your heart, go ahead and take a seat. Thank you. Glad that you're here. Uh, on the way in, you're handed the notes. And on the notes, there are some fill-in-the-blanks, so you'll need a pen or a pencil. There's also an online version of U-Notes, Y-O-U notes. And uh, you can fill them in that way. It's an easy way to keep a digital record. And as always, if you learn best by just simply listening, that's great too. Uh, however, you are joining us today. We're glad that you are. We're really thankful that you're here, and I mean that. Uh, so, can you believe it's December 2nd? Here we are already, man. 2018. Um, in some ways, it's been, been a long year, but it's gone by fast. It's like raising kids. Long days, short season. It just, it does happen. You get through. And here we are in December, uh, literally three weeks away from Christmas. Um, scary words, man. Three weeks, and here we go. Uh, coming into this season... We uh, pick a theme and then set our messages around that uh, for the Christmas season. And so um, we titled it Expectant. Expectant. The idea of Mary uh, being expectant with Jesus. The idea of the world uh, expecting its Savior. And the idea that when we teach on this right now, uh, the whole thing that we've talked about already this morning, just being expectant. Uh, having an expectancy in our heart for what God can do what God will do, believing that God wants to do awesome things in our midst today. And so the whole theme of expectant is what, it, uh, what it's going to be about this season. So my job today uh, is this. I'll wide brushstroke the message. I'll kind of hold, the whole thing will be about expectancy. 
what that looks like inside of our hearts, how we set our expectancy. I'm gonna, I'm gonna actually talk about um, some of the, I, I, you know, I, I was gonna say some of the great miracles of Jesus. All his miracles are great, right? I mean, how do you, but there are some that are like, you know, those are even just more exciting uh, than an average one to talk about. Um, so I'm gonna talk about three really wonderful uh, stories of God's healing, his power, his interaction. Uh, and then I'm gonna compare it uh, to the idea that with a, a similar group of people who had a low expectation, not much happened for them. And so expectations are so important. So maybe here's a good place to stop. What are your expectations right now? If it's just like, hey, we're expecting just to hear a good message. Man, can I, what? Don't come just to, come to be touched by God. Come come to be changed, come to be filled, come, come to... Uh, Come to a place where you're like, I, it's, I don't want just church as usual. Even if that's a good experience, what we want is more of God in our lives. Right. And so that's what, uh, that's what the series is about. And um, uh, here's what I'm using for my text. Mark chapter 5, Mark chapter 6. I was fortunate in that when uh, I was in school and was being uh, tutored and taught and mentored uh, by people who were teaching me how to teach I had a great teacher who, who drilled this into my head over and over and over again. Um, and this, this is a paraphrase of what he would say to me often. When you read the Bible, you constantly be aware that you're reading a very carefully edited and selected text. There's a scripture in one of the Gospels that says, if all of the works of Jesus had been written down, the world couldn't contain the volumes. Now that's hyperbole, obviously, but the thought simply is this that most of Jesus' ministry publicly didn't get written down and make it into the Bible. Only a select few stories make it. And here's the point. Those stories then must have been so important and contained such truth and lessons for us that when we read it, we should never read it like, you know, oh, wow, that's neat. These are like the, these are the things God wanted us to get. And they're stories inside of stories inside of stories. Wisdom in wisdom inside of wisdom that we can learn. So when we look at uh, Mark chapter 5 and Mark chapter 6, uh, I want you to get this picture real quick. Um, f- for people to be able to study the Bible, it was divided into chapters and verses so that when someone's teaching, they can reference, hey, turn to Mark chapter 5 verse 2, and people would know where to go to find it. But then the outcome of that, maybe the, the, the double-edged sword that was, um, was not realized when it was divided that way, is that people then tend to read their Bible based on reading a few verses or reading a chapter. The problem with that, it's good to read it, but the problem is the context, their letters that were written, and so an event may have taken up four or five chapters. And if you're only reading one, it's like picking up a newspaper and reading one paragraph. You don't get the full story, right? You've got to read the whole thing to get the whole story. So I'm just saying that when we teach today, this is one long day in Jesus's life that was probably a fairly typical day. And I just want to point out to you that he goes from doing these really miraculous things on the same day to a group of people who are aware of all the miraculous, but they end up in a place where their expectations are so messed up that nothing good happens for them. So it is possible that God can be limited in our life, listen to it, by low expectation. Say it one more time. It is possible that God can be limited in our life by low expectation. In fact, I would just say this to you. It's better 
to have great expectations even if they're wrong than it is to have no expectations or low expectation when it comes to God. How about that? Because God can correct. Hey, some fire is better than no fire. Wildfire can still be contained. No fire, that's not a good place to be at in life. So uh, with that in mind, let's jump in. It's Mark chapter 5. The first one, if you want to write it in there real quick and then I'll teach on it. Uh, I'm going to talk real quickly about the helpless. Helpless. And by the way, um, so this didn't come from a book, someone else's message, uh, something else that I heard taught at some other point. I've never taught uh, these terminologies before. When I was studying over the last couple of weeks and when I wrote it earlier this week, um, I sat down and I just categorized real quickly these three miracles that we're about to look at. They, they, they specifically deal with three people. And the Bible doesn't give us um, uh, the names of all three, only of one. Um, and, and rather than try to figure out what their, their, their surname was, I, j- I just wrote down what I think the, the place in life that they were. Does that make sense? So this first one is a helpless person. Mark chapter 5, remember this is one long day for Jesus, and it begins right here early in the morning. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. The lake uh, is... is um, uh, the Sea of Galilee, it's not a sea, it's a lake, it looks really large. Uh, by the way, those who have gone with me, as soon as I say it, you get a picture in your mind of what it looks like, you know that lake, we go out on it first thing in the morning, we get on a boat, we go out to the middle, shut it off, we talk about the miracles of Jesus, walking on the water, what he did with the disciples. Why are you saying this? Because we're going again in 2019. <laughs> this year's trip, next year's trip will be in November Uh, instead of September. We're doing that in deference to the old people, me. I cannot take the heat in September any longer, so I'm moving it back to November, where it's a little bit cooler, and a little, yes, the people, yes, yes. So, uh, if you have it in your heart that you would like to go, here's what we'll do. Sometime in the first of January, Amy and I were just talking about a date for that, probably, I think it's the fifth or the twelfth is what we were kicking out. One of those two uh, one of those two dates, we will do an informational meeting on the 2019 trip, and I'll have the itinerary, I'll have the cost, uh, the breakdown, all of those things, questions and answers. If you have it in your heart to go, I uh, want to give you the opportunity to go. My, my heart is this, as long as we have people that want to go, and it's safe to do so. We'll try to make that trip uh, over to the Holy Land. And every year I go, I think to myself, is this our last trip? Um, you just never know. You never know what will happen over there. But for right now, uh, it's such a good time to go. And if you have it in your heart, we'd love to take you. One of the reasons, like this right here, once you go, you'll never read your Bible the same again, man. It, it's, it's 4D. It is in your face, living color. Boom. All right, so they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, this is early in the morning, in order to complete this day, he would have left at dawn. Uh, It's also the best time. Uh, If you're a fisherman or a boater, you know early in the morning generally is the best time. The water's glassy in the morning before the wind begins to blow. It's cooler in the morning. It's it's the perfect time to get out and go. And if you have a long day, the earlier you start, the better off you are in being able to complete the tasks in front of you. So they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. We go to that region right there. We look at these things. When Jesus got out of the boat, 
So first thing, he doesn't have a chance to, to uh, kind of get his thoughts together, get his actions together. But here's what's really interesting. Jesus is never random. This is not accidental. He's doing this on purpose. He knows what's about to take place. He knows what he's doing, why he's doing it. So even though it happens suddenly, he's not caught off guard with it. When Jesus got out of the boat, the implication is immediately a man with an impure spirit. Your translation uh, may say demonic. It may say unclean. All three mean the same thing. This is not a guy who has an emotional problem. Okay, This is not a guy dealing with something that's just like, uh, you know, um, man, he, he's just going through some things. This is a guy, l- listen to his story. A man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to me. Okay, step number one, if they're living in the tombs, right? Not much more needs to be said about where this person is at uh, in their life. So he's living where the dead live. Uh, it comes from the tombs uh, to meet Jesus. The man lived in the tombs, and, and all of a sudden we skip in time to an assumption that we simply can make with the wording here. No one could bind him. What's that word? Anymore. So apparently, at one point, this guy, we don't know, did this happen in his childhood? Did it happen in his early 20s? Did, it, did he open himself up to the demonic? Some, the Bible doesn't give us the details, but somehow this guy ends up in a place where the enemy has such control over his life that at one point they were able to bind him to stop him from harming himself and harming others. The guy has run out from the tombs to meet the boat to do harm to Jesus. He doesn't know it's Jesus, by the way, at this point. He's just run out to do harm. That's what this guy does. And that's why they bind him, to keep him from harming himself and harming others. But look at the story. So we skip. No one could bind him anymore. They had been able to, but it's not possible anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot, but now he was able to tear the chains apart and break the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. I wonder whose job that was. Just real quick. So I, we, we always read it very sanitized and never put ourselves into the actuality. This goes on in the city of Lone Tree, in the city of Lakewood, in the city of Highlands Ranch. Probably some municipality worker is being sent out. The new guy. Hey, we got a job for you. <laughs> Can you see everybody kind of smirking? Like, yeah, yeah. Let us know how this goes when you get back. So... Whoever's job this is to subdue him, I mean, can you imagine them coming back like, I quit? How many people are they going through on a daily basis because of this guy? No one was strong enough to subdue him anymore. Night and day amongst the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out. I mean, he would scream constantly. Can you imagine? You imagine. And cut himself with stones. So he's bleeding and he's screaming. He's harming himself. He's harming others. He's apparently demonically incredibly strong. And by the way, perhaps you sit here, and this is not the text of the message, the context. Uh, it's not to freak you out. So maybe you say, you know, I mean, pastor, today we know better. Those are, those are mental issues that people deal with. <laughs> Let me just divide an issue. People do deal with mental issues, but there is demonically influenced issues in a person's life that can be so bad a person is helpless. Regardless of how you end up helpless, that's not the point. Regardless of how you there, you can get into such a bad place in life, you're out of control. Yeah. 
and that the normal things that work to keep you in control no longer work. Did you get that? So when they came to Jesus, they, in this one guy, but they is a reference to the demonic inside of him. If you know the story, Jesus at one point says, you know, your name. And the demon speaks out legion because we're many. It means a thousand. A thousand times over this guy is dealing with... I've had to deal with it as a pastor. And I will just tell you, it's not subject to your anger or your brute strength, but it is subject to the name of Jesus. I can tell you there's power in the name of Jesus. Uh, When this demonic man came to Jesus, probably running screaming, possibly bleeding, and intent on doing harm to him and the disciples. When they came to Jesus, um, this man is, is immediately stopped, if you know the story. He screams out, hey, uh, why are you here? And why are you, why are you here to mess with me before my time? Jesus tells him to shut up. And then the demon bargains with him, hey, don't send me back to the pit Send me into the pigs. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but Israel is kosher. Why were there pigs? But that's another story for another time. Did you ever think about that? There are not supposed to be any pigs there. There is a reason. So he casts the demon into the swine, and they think they're getting a good deal, but the swine go nuts and go off a cliff into the water, so they end up in the pit anyway. Double whammy. He cleans out the pigs and the demonic in one swipe. So the guy is set free. It's the mission of Jesus. Um, The enemy specializes in causing people to be helpless. Jesus specializes in helping helpless people. I love that about him. He doesn't like, hey, too bad you let yourself go. Too bad it's gone this far. Jesus is never the God of if only. He's the God of right now. Right now, turn to me. Right now, repent. Right now, cry out for help. He never goes, too bad. And I love that. He sets the guy free so much so that We pick the story up after this remarkable series of events. When they came to Jesus, the town now, they saw the man who had been, past tense, possessed by the legion of demons. And look at his position now. Remember, he lived in the tombs. He screamed night and day. He cut himself and he attacked people. And they no longer can control this guy. He's a nuisance. Sitting there now, dressed. Oh, by the way. He was naked as he did those things. Just one more little thing to throw on top of it. It's kind of like, it's not bad enough, but he's naked too. (laughs) Sitting there dressed and in his right mind, they were afraid. They'd never seen anything like Jesus. You you know, interesting part about this story, the guy's only mentioned, the demoniac, he's only mentioned one other time in Scripture. uh, And it tells the story that the next time, uh, we don't know how long, a few months, a few weeks, whatever it was, the next time Jesus goes back over to, to the Gerasenes to visit that town and to do some ministry, uh, the demoniac comes out and he's leading the whole town with him this time in revival to worship Jesus. 
So the guy, here, here's the guy sitting at Jesus' feet, worshiping him. Jesus gets in the boat to go back to the other side of the lake, and the guy begs, let me go with you. And Jesus said, no, you need to stay here and tell everybody in your town what God's done for you. He makes him the president of the Jesus fan club in 15 minutes. Yeah. And the guy's a great president, man, because the next time Jesus comes back, that town is in revival. What a powerful thought. Jesus' ability to help the helpless. You know, when you've lost control in life, however it is, addiction, it gets very quiet when I said it last night too. Addiction's a funny thing today, man. We deal with such a highly um, mobile, educated, uh, moving society at large, and we've never struggled with drug addiction like we do today. So what is that? And I'm, I, this doesn't make me smart. It's not prophetic. So I'm a pastor. I know the conversations that I have, how it's reached inside the church, and it holds on to good people who've lost control. And they feel helpless. And they sit here this morning, and even as I talk about it, instead of feeling free, the enemy's got you in a place not only of being bound, but condemned. So the same one that lures you is the same one then who stones you. And the good news is the devil specializes in trapping people, but Jesus specializes in setting them free. What's your expectation today? Have you given up? Have you just decided that's your lot in life and you'll never do any better or get beyond? How, can you believe that with man things are impossible, but with God all things are possible? Do you believe that anymore? It's, it's not me driving a point right now. It's trying to say to you, what's your expect? Hey, you'll get what you expect today. And if your expectation was business as usual, then everything will stay the same. But did you expect God to show up strong in your life today? Do you still believe that Jesus' mission, according to him, in Luke chapter 4, was to set at liberty those who are captive by the enemy. Captive. Held prisoners. Being helpless, man, comes in a number of, of ways. Situations can cause you to feel helpless. A business that went wrong. A marriage that got twisted. A friendship, a child, a disease. And what's your expectation? What can God do? So I asked you when we were transitioning out of worship, can anything good come from your situation? You told me yes. Do you still believe it? I wasn't talking, can anything good come from you clapping and ring? Can anything good come from the junk that you brought with you to church today? God specializes in taking what was intended for evil and using it for good. What do you expect? God, that's a shouting point right there, man. Your wood might be wet if you can't get a fire after that. I don't know, but that's... 
Being helpless is a horrible place to be at. Uh, Nate, let's phrase it this way. Being in a pit is a terrible place to be at. There's all sorts of ways we end up in one. Uh, sometimes somebody pushes us. We're betrayed. And sometimes we just simply make mistakes. We didn't see what would happen and we tripped and ended up in one. And sometimes it's self-inflicted. We're like, I don't care. I'm jumping in anyway. But regardless of how you find yourself in a pit, aren't you glad that God's not the God of, if, if only you hadn't jumped in that pit, if only you hadn't married that person, if only you hadn't committed yourself to that thing, aren't you glad that God looks and goes right now? That's the gospel, the good news. He's a good God. Hmm. The helpless. The man's so out of control that he can no longer help himself. The enemy has doubled down a thousand times. You know, the Bible says this. The sins of the father are passed on to the fourth generation. But God's faithfulness goes to the... Does anybody know? The thousandth generation. Isn't it amazing? The enemy's got him doubled down a thousand times, but God's faithfulness goes to a thousand instantly. Wherever your need is, is what God is able to do in your life. Now, let me give you the second one. Remember, this is one long day, one long event. It's not, if you read uh, just parts of this, you'll tend to think, okay, that happened one day and this happened. This is Jesus' life on a day-to-day basis, but this is the one that the Holy Spirit has picked for us to see. This is what one of the days look like. Not all of the days. We don't have them written down, but one of the days. Uh, The second one is just simply this word, the hopeless. So you got the helpless that he deals with. The hopeless uh, deals with a little bit further in that story in Mark chapter 5. So he's healed the demoniac. He got back in the boat to return to the other side of the lake. So I don't know. Is it lunchtime? I don't know exactly what time it is, but it's a series of one long day. By the way, um, anybody in this room who deals with another person's problems. So um, I'll just, anybody ever dealt with another person's problems? Like the married ones are afraid. Like problems? What kind of Greek word is that? Pastor, I, Problems? Um, is this a fair thing to say that dealing with someone else's problems will wear you out? Is that, is that a fair thing to say? I mean, it'll just it'll wear you out. So Jesus has this tremendous meeting with this guy, and we read it very sanitized. You know that was not a clean... I mean, that dude's wiggling on the ground, and I mean, it, there's a lot of emotions going into that. You would think that that would put a person at a place of, you know, hey... Good day. Let's, let's, let's go home. Take a break. I need to get something to eat. But Jesus is right back. He's in the boat, crossing back on the other side. Now, what, I mean, did he tell the disciples, hey, you guys row and let me take a nap? And did they go, well, you know what? You're in control of the weather, so why don't you cause a wind to get us over there or something? You know what? We don't know. But they get, they get back to the other side of the lake, and no sooner are they at the other side of the lake than we pick up. Remember, this is one long day. When Jesus had again crossed back over the lake, by boat to the other side, a large crowd had gathered around him while he's by the lake. So he can't even make it off the shore. Now, okay, so what is this? Has his fame preceded him, or did the people who just witnessed what happened run around the edge of the lake to meet him there? 
It's probably both, to be honest. He's at the pinnacle of his ministry, and quite honestly, just let's put yourself in that situation. If there was a person standing right here who every person he touched, the blind were healed, the deaf heard, uh, the dead came back to life, the, de the, de the demons were subject to... I, I mean, he's setting people... You recognize how many people would flood this place yes. trying to touch, touch him, right? So that, uh, put yourself in that real quick. These people are... He's at the pinnacle of his ministry right now. And wherever he goes, people, they, they want to not only see it, but they want to be a part of it. So he's going back across. Uh, maybe, maybe it took a half hour, maybe a little bit more than that. But he gets back across the lake, he gets out, and immediately he's thronged with people. And the wording's important. So a large crowd gathered around him while he's by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came up to Jesus through the crowd. He makes his way through the crowd. He probably had some guards with him that helped him navigate the crowd a little bit and get up to Jesus. Uh, when he saw Jesus, he fell down at his feet and he pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and she will live. So Jesus went with him. Now remember, man, the crowd, the needs of the crowd haven't changed. They haven't shut up. They haven't stopped. They're yelling for him too. Touch me. My child is sick. My wife is tormented. I can't see. In fact, I'll show you here in just a second. There are so many people around him that the, the wording is he can't move his hands. You ever, that is suffocating to be in that position and to not freak out and Jesus handles it all. I wonder if he's just like, yes. While trying to make it to Jairus' house, like, so we read it, we read it so clean, but this is a human event going on. And people are screaming, Jesus, over here. And somehow he's able to take the time to do, while making his way to Jairus' house through this incredible crowd, in order to heal uh, his daughter who was on death's doorstep. So Jesus went with Jairus. A large crowd followed, pressed, meaning he can't move his arms, pressed around him while Jesus was still speaking because he's trying to minister while making his way to Jairus' house. He's trying to teach. He's trying to heal. He's trying to help while still speaking some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, and they just say it out loud. Your daughter died. And then they use these words right here. Why bother the teacher anymore? Somehow. Again, follow me real quick. Why did this make it? Of all the things that he did, why does this story make it? Why do these words end up in there? Because in every translation, it will use the idea that suddenly they're telling him, you're a bother. What is it that we feel like we're a bother? What? The last thing you are to Jesus is a bother. The reason that he came to earth to do what he did is because you matter. I wrote a letter to the editor of the Wall Street Journal last week. <laughs> there was a missionary that was killed on an island off India recently. Anybody see that right there? And somebody wrote in, a professor from uh, Stanford uh, wrote this article uh, that, the, that the missionary was an idiot. And, and this is what the guy, this was the guy's exact words. He said that, that the missionary saw those people as God forsaken and that's why he had to go to that island. Now I didn't, I didn't, I didn't write to argue but it hit me the wrong way. So I just wrote, it was three lines. 
And I said, some will agree with this professor, some will disagree with this professor, but in my opinion, he missed the mark entirely because he did not consider them God-forsaken, but so God-loved that he paid the ultimate price to prove it. And where would he get this ludicrous idea from? And then I quoted John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believed would not perish but have everlasting life. My point simply is this. I hope it gets published. It should be this week. If it does, I'll read it to you next week. I'm, I, even New York people are getting the gospel. Here's the, here's the, here's the thought. You are not... A, that idea that we're a bother... It's the whole reason for Jesus' existence. He knows you and he loves you. And the joy set before him, when the Bible says in Hebrews, he endured the cross for the joy set before him. What was the joy? The joy was that you would be with him in paradise. That's the joy. You're the joy, not the bother. And so to use these words all of a sudden, don't bother the teacher anymore. And then look at this. And Jesus told him, I'm sorry, overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. So here's what happened. These people walk up and in a moment of time, using the reality of the situation, they tell him, readjust your expectations right now. Quit bothering the one. Leave him alone. Lower your expectations and stop. And the Bible says, in one of the translations, it says this, overhearing but ignoring what they said. Jesus told Jairus, keep believing. How important is your faith and your expectation? I wonder, here's the story. Jesus goes to the house, and in those days they had professional mourners, literally. Professional mourners who would fill the house and begin to wail to let everybody know that a tragedy had happened. And for many days, these women would wail and cry. These women had already gathered in the house and begun to wail. They're called mourners. And when Jesus gets there, he walks into the house telling Jairus, no matter what you hear and no matter what you see right now, ignore it and keep looking at me. It's really easy to say to people, Keep looking at Jesus. But have you ever realized how hard it is when everything else around you is screaming, here's the reality. You love Jesus and this happened. You need to lower your expectations. I had a woman tell me one time, if you don't expect much, you'll never be hurt. True. But you'll never experience love and miracles and life and joy and peace. Oh yeah, you can live flatline, but that ain't living. You died before you were dead. And if you weren't here last week, you should listen to the message because I talked about being fully alive. And there's just so much pain that we live with today in our world and in our culture all around us in so many places that people have learned to live numb. Not using necessarily tools like we talked about with the helpless guy, but just simply they've turned their hearts off. They've learned to pull their heart back yeah, they go through life. Yeah, they show up to work. Yeah, they sleep in the bed with their spouse. But they're not there, man. And the proof simply is this. With someone who doesn't require anything from you, you can interact. But the person who requires you to be alive, like a spouse, talk to me. Give to me. Respond to me. You can't do it because you're not there. 
and it frustrates you and it angers you. And God has not called you to go through life numb. Let me come on this side. I, I might be in trouble over there. I, was, I don't know. I, I, you know, I'm a right-handed person, but it seems like I preach to the left a lot, doesn't it? So cheers me like, yeah. Uh, poor John's like, please go away. And, uh, Steve, my friend. I'm looking for a friendly face out there right now. Thank you for smiling at me, man. God wants us engaged. And wants us alive. He promised an abundant life. That's not a numb life. That's not just passing time and just going through space. He wants us to... Solomon said the greatest thing you can do under God's heaven is to enjoy the life you've been given. How is it that the devil is so able to rob us from appreciating and enjoying the fact that we're alive right now? We get so full of the cares of this life that it chokes the life out of us. The hopeless. I read this this week, um, a term I had never heard before. Maybe you are more read than I am and, 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 and you know it. I've heard of chronic fatigue and I've heard of chronic sickness, but I read a term this week and it's a, it's a literal term. It's called chronic sorrow. Anybody ever heard of that? I'd never heard of it before. So here, here's the meaning. Chronic sorrow is a medical terminology, legitimate term. It's a medical terminology for grief so deep and so long-lasting that it becomes a chronic issue in a person's life. Like chronic pain or chronic sickness, chronic sorrow. It becomes the preconditioned way that when you wake up in the morning, you're already sorrowful before life gets going. And at lunchtime... You fellowship with sorrow. And at dinner, it's a constant companion. That makes sense? Uh, categorized primarily by people who experience death in some form or fashion. So another word would probably be chronic grief, but beyond even grief, just this deep, abiding sorrow. Yeah. Yeah. So let me introduce to you our term in our church, in our gospel, from our God. It comes from Romans chapter 15, verse 13. May the God of... Let's do it one more time. May the God of... Fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him. In other words, as you have expectations so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So there's a term called chronic sorrow. If you're a believer, can I give you a new term? Chronic joy. Chronic hope. One of the names that God reveals himself by to us is the God of all hope. Not sorrow, not death, but hope. And so much so, God wants to so fill you with hope that it's not just enough for the moment or for the day. It's overflowing so that other people can partake of the hope. Because if the church isn't filled with hope, who in this world is going to be? That's good. Remember that silly little song, This Little Light of Mine? Silly little song, church. 
Let your light so shine amongst men. But it's hard to shine something you're not experiencing. Agreed? And here's the disconnect. If we're not connecting with God, that's why coming to church is not a... You've got to connect with God when you come here. He's the God of all hope to fill your life to overflowing with hope and with joy. Chronic joy, chronic hope, chronic life. So that when you wake up in the morning, life is already there. And when you go to lunch, hope is overflowing. And when you make it home at nighttime, you come home to joy. No, you bring joy home with you. That's the better, better terminology. <laughs> Here's the third one. So the first guy was helpless. Oh, Jairus, my goodness. I'm leaving Jairus with a dead kid. Oh, my goodness, let me. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> McFly, McFly, come on. Uh... <laughs> so poor Jairus. And so it is with us. Our expectations were so high and we're so disappointed. Uh, so Jesus goes to Jairus' house. The mourners, the professional mourners are there. And Jesus, he doesn't even try to talk over them. He just kicks them out. Go. You need to go. Can you imagine that little scene for a minute? Who do you think you are? God? Go. So he kicks out the mourners. And all that's left in the room, uh, for sure that we know, is the little girl who's died, Jairus, Jesus, and I'm guessing his wife. I'm guessing. We don't know for sure. And Jesus tells, to, tells Jairus, even in the presence of his dead daughter, keep believing. Keep your expectations up. And Jesus reaches over and uses these words in Aramaic. He says, little girl, wake up. And she sits up. And he gives this little girl back to her father. Can you imagine the... Re Jesus messed up every funeral he ever went to. <laughs> he was an incredibly disrespectful person of the process of mourning. So from that event, sandwiched between the guy who's demonically possessed... And a little girl who's died and raised back to life is an incredible story of a woman who in between these two events on the same day, probably in a fairly typical day of Jesus, a woman who has bled for 12 years, hemorrhaged. So probably pretty anemic. In her culture, real quick, um, not to be vulgar, just, just real quick, it's a period that won't stop. And because of that, in her culture at that time, she's considered unclean. And literally, she's supposed to sequester herself. So you have to recognize, they didn't live sanitarily in a time like we live. And so she's, she's supposed to sequester herself um, during these few days of her period. But in her case, it's a 12-year period. You imagine that's a dumb question. Like, uh... <laughs> So she's in such a bad place. So she's not even supposed to be out of her house, to be honest. And to touch a rabbi? 
let alone another person. This is illegal. She can be stoned for what's about to happen, so she must have been very desperate is what I'm trying to point out to you. But I think her situation made her desperate. But instead of calling her the desperate or the unfortunate, I call her the helpful. That's the third one. She's the helpful. And her story looks like this real quick. Um, a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. So I wonder how many times she got her expectation up like, okay, I know, I know you saw this guy, but this, this, is the, this is the guy that treats the Roman legion. Go, this is the guy. Go see this guy. And got her expectation up to see this doctor. Can you imagine for 12 years getting an expectation up only to have it dashed? At some point, I would just venture to say, hope had probably been kicked out of this woman. Would you agree? Yes. She probably, I mean, just the wording. Uh, back up one, one let, me, let me finish that sentence. Yeah. Uh, so, so she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all the money she had. Okay, now go. Instead of getting better, she grew worse. I mean, that, that has to just be frustrating. That has to lower expectations. But when she heard about Jesus, her expectations rose again. She came up behind him in the crowd. So, Look, I don't know, but this is where my imagination likes to kick in. So I'm, I'm imagining that she's probably diminutive because of that time and that place and that culture. They were small people. So she's probably diminutive and she's probably bent over because of her condition. She's probably not able. And, and so tall, big people can probably push their way through the crowd. But what does a little person do? How does she make it? Must have been a determined woman. And through a crowd that is so thick, Jesus can't get his arms up. And everybody pawing and pulling and calling and gyrus and the whole thing. This woman somehow makes her way. What big can't do, little finds a way. <laughs> so she makes her way through the crowd, right? Sneaks up behind him. And I think the reason she comes behind him is because she realizes if I get caught, it's not just getting caught, but I'm, I will be in desperate trouble. So maybe she even had it over her head and over her face where only her eyes are exposed. I don't know, but I, she can't come full throttle. She has to sneak in the back door. But she comes in the back door, and, and look at her story. Um, she came up behind Jesus in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, see, why did this make it in here? If I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. If you ever study this and you know anything about the wording, it's a present tense thought. So she didn't just say to herself when she left the house, if I can touch. Every step she took, she kept saying to herself, if I can just get to Jesus, if I can just touch him, if I can just get there, I know it's going to be okay. Something about her expectation, something about your expectation, you begin to raise it when you vocalize over and over again, here's what I believe will happen if I can get to Jesus. Here's what I know God can do for me. Here, here's what will happen if I can make it through all of these things. If I can just get beyond this, if I can just get, you can't say it one time and be okay. You have to keep saying it. You've got to hold your faith. And regardless of what's going on in life, man, here's the one thing no one else can do for you. No one else can hold your confidence in God for you. You must hold your confidence in God. 
And she holds her confidence. And I don't, she just swipes at him. She doesn't even touch his hand. She doesn't catch his body. She touches his clothes. But the Bible says power immediately flows from Jesus. Jesus doesn't even know who did it. Because here, helpful Peter jumps into the story now. Jesus feels the power leave his body, but he can't get his arms out. He can't even turn around. And she's touched him from behind. So Jesus asks the question, who touched me? And helpful Peter goes, everybody. <laughs> Duh, come on. Everybody's touching you. And can you imagine Jesus looking around? And then the Bible says he spots her. And she spots him. But no words are exchanged. And when he realizes and she realizes, he just says, your faith has made you well. And off she goes to live the rest of her life like God intended it in the first place. Twelve years melt away like that. Twelve years, gone. And she's whole and she's well. And this is an average day for Jesus, just real quickly. Jesus is the common denominator of all three. But what was different about this woman than the other two? <laughs> is she just decided to take it upon herself. Hey, I, I'm not even going to interrupt. I'm just... We did a series years ago called Mythbusters. Remember the TV show? And the series was on this idea. Uh, sayings we attribute to the Bible that aren't actually there. I'll guarantee you, you know many of them, but here's, here's probably the big one. Uh, that you'll think's in the Bible and really not. God helps those who? That is not in the Bible. That is not in the Bible. Now, there's some principles there that are good, but the bottom line is, dude, we were dead in our sins, and that's when Jesus entered our life. We're not able to help ourselves. This lady, what I love about her, <laughs> she didn't wait for Jesus to come find her. She decided to pursue him. I, I just love that. In her position, she went after him. I'm out of time, so I'm just going to skip to the last one. The hostile. The helpless, the hopeless, the helpful. And the last one is the hostile. Now, let me just point it out one more time. Uh, I'll even close my notes because I really do need to wrap up and let you go. Um, this is one continuous day. Got context, you have to remember that. So he started early in the morning on one side of the lake in the demoniac. And then he comes back. And on his way to Jairus' house, a woman touches him and she's healed. And it just doesn't tell us how many other people were healed. It just picks that story. And then the people from Jairus' house come and say, Hey, don't bother him anymore because your daughter's died. But Jesus goes and raises her from the dead. So we have the demoniac healed. We have the woman with the issue of blood healed. We have a little girl brought back to life. Jesus' fame, man, he's at the apex, the pinnacle. It, it, I, I don't think our imagination is even able to come close to, to how raucous it must have been and how exciting it must have been and how powerful it was. Jesus left there. He left those three things that he just did. He left there and went to his hometown. So from the Galilee up to Nazareth, come with me and I'll show you. I'll show you how close it is. I'll show you what it looks like and how the topography changes. I'll, I'll take you to Nazareth. He goes to Nazareth accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were, what's the word? Amazed. 
So remember that the crowd is amazed. And let's just go through this real quick. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that has been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? So they're fully aware. Fully aware. Yes? You see it? They're fully aware. Okay, watch this. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon who must have been living right there in the town? And aren't his sisters here with us right now? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, he quotes from the Old Testament, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town amongst his relatives and in his own home. And he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. Look at this wording right here. And he was what? So you've got two polar opposites. These people are amazed, but in the wrong way. Like they're intellectually offended. How about this? The people who should have had the highest expectation actually had the lowest. I'm going to say something gutsy right now. In his own house... We should be expecting the miraculous, not business as usual. And when we show up thinking, I'm just going to hear another message and I'm just going to sit through another hour and 20 minutes, you have missed the point entirely and it's the equivalent of his own hometown having low expectations. And the worst part about it is simply this. Jesus can do no great thing amongst his own people when expectations are low. And we think of God as being able to do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants. But we have this story that made it in here, very carefully selected, edited text. And it's in here for this reason. Sometimes Jesus can do more with people. Who haven't lowered him to fitting in their little paradigm of how he operates. C.S. Lewis when he wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, came up with a picture of Jesus as a lion, called him Aslan, but he made this statement. He's a good lion, but he's not a tame lion. And somehow we have so tamed our God that it would freak us out if he was God in our midst. Hear what I'm saying right now? What's your expectation? Is it business as usual? Is it just, hey, pastor, I want to be blessed. You know, I'm, I'm, bless me. Or is it I need to touch God today? If your expectations are right, you should be disappointed if you don't touch God today. It shouldn't be, now that's what happens. It shouldn't be, well, we live in 2018. I mean, come on. Expectation is everything. It, it, it's the clearest indicator of where's our faith at. And I'm not. God gives pastors to care for your soul. And so I'm challenging your soul right now. There's no anger. There's no animosity. There's no slapping or talking down. It's not me versus you. I'm this and you're. We're all in the same boat. I'm, I'm What's your expectation? Did you have any today? Let's just be honest. It challenged me to think, what are my expectations when I come to teach? My expectation right now is I need to shut up. <laughs> and I need to give God a chance.
to move without me in the way. So Camille's going to sing this song. Uh, it's 1024, and there's a service in 20 minutes. But give me five. Don't let your first thought be, if I leave now, I can get out of the parking lot before everybody else. That's not the... Your expectations are in the wrong place. Hold on right now and let's seal what the Holy Spirit wants to do with an opportunity to say, God, I want to set my expectations on you touching me and you filling me to overflowing with joy. Maybe bring your situation and think to yourself, if I can just touch Jesus. Because Jesus is here to touch you. And just open up yourself right now. So, Father, we prepare our hearts with expectation. We don't want to live lives that say if we don't expect anything, we'll never be hurt or disappointed. That's God, our expectation is not in the things of this world or the natural. It's in the supernatural right now. Our expectation is that you are good and merciful and love us and that we're not a bother. We're not God-forsaken we're God-redeemed and God-loved and God-precious. Father, minister your life right now and we expect for good things today. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Stand to your feet if you will.